The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Around the globe, there are more people on the move from their homes than at any time since World War II. The president's principal position is that we do not believe that dictators should be invited. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Democrats are using January 6th to avoid accountability. For making the, la- the whole nation less safe. I've kept my distance from the committee, so I'll be watching just as everyone else is. The reality is this is a classic attack the messenger. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. President Biden touches down in La La Land as the January 6th committee prepares for prime time. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with immigration also in the air as the president kicks off the Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. We'll explore the agenda ahead with Antonio Garza, former U.S. ambassador to Mexico. The select committee investigating the attack on the Capitol enters Americans' living rooms at 8 p.m. Eastern time with new evidence, they say, new video, new details. Bloomberg Congress reporter Billy House will join us a bit later. We'll have analysis as well. From our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with us for the hour. First, the markets. We get things started, as always, with an update. And now, Mr. Doug Krisner. Hey, Joe. Persistent inflation was very much top of mind for markets today. Uh, The session began with the European Central Bank signaling a quarter point rate hike next month. That was pretty much expected. But then the ECB went on to signal another hike, potentially larger than a quarter point, possibly in the fall as the ECB fights rising prices. Tomorrow here in the U.S. we'll get inflation on retail inflation for the month of May. The overall consumer price index report, uh, consumer price index, I should say, is expected to rise at an annual rate of 8.2%. So not surprisingly, we had yields across the curve today moving up. A 10-year Treasury last quoted at 3.04% and uh, tough sledding for the equity market. We finished at session lows. The Dow down more than 1.9%. The S&P weaker by about 2.0%. and the Nasdaq comp weaker by just about 2.8%. And then on top of that, the Fed said today that U.S. household net worth fell in the first quarter by nearly, well, a little more than a half trillion dollars. It was fueled, not surprisingly, by a $3 trillion decline in stock holdings. I'm Doug Krisner, and that is your Bloomberg Business Flash. Doug, thank you. President Biden weighs in on the January 6th committee hearing tonight. He made comments in Los Angeles at the start of a meeting with Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister. Here's what he said. Before I begin, one of the things going to occupy my country tonight, I suspect, is the first open hearings on January the 6th. And uh, as I said, when it was occurring and subsequent, I think it was a clear flagrant violation of the Constitution. I think these guys and women broke the law, tried to turn around the result of an election. And uh, there's a lot of questions, who's responsible, who's involved. I'm not going to make a judgment on that, but I just want to know that much of it is we're going to probably be 
a lot of Americans are going to be seeing for the first time some of the detail that uh, that occurred. That's what they're promising. I wanted you to hear that uh, right off the top because this just happened. This this is fresh sound. That that is the promise by the committee tonight: new details, new evidence, new video, including excerpts uh, from the one thousand interviews they've conducted. We're going to have a lot more on the the hearing tonight later on this hour, including a pre-buttal from Donald Trump. Of course, President Biden did not go to Los Angeles to talk about this or necessarily go on Jimmy Kimmel as he did last night. The bane of our existence. The summit of the Americas is officially underway. The president taking part, of course, in the formalities as we're hosting this in California. Smaller guest list this time around. As we've told you, the president of Mexico is not attending, uh, along with the leaders of Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador, which combined. I just read this on the terminal generate nearly two-thirds of the migration to the U.S. border every year. Now, of course, they're not attending in part because the U.S. chose not to invite the leaders of Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, as the White House does not consider them democracies. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, talking with reporters on Air Force One on their way to California, used even more blunt terms, as you can hear. The president's principal position is that we do not believe that dictators should be invited. Okay. So that's the backdrop for a three-day conference designed to tackle some very complex issues, trade and security issues, economic issues. And helping us understand more about the dynamic this year is Antonio Garza, former U.S. ambassador to Mexico under the George W. Bush administration. Joining us today from the Mexico City office of White and Case, Mr. Ambassador, welcome to Bloomberg. It's great to have you. Is there a chance for progress when so many people are not there at the table? Well, I, I think you always have to hope that there's an opportunity for progress, and, and, and in some sense, there there is. I mean, Joe, the, the, the very fact that uh, you're having a summit of the Americas against the backdrop of a pandemic, inflation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's going on in Ukraine, uh, and the specter of China, you know, sort of their, their increasing interest in Latin America. I think I think it is good that they're that, that we continue to have these summit of the Americas. Is there a terribly ambitious ing- agenda? No. I mean, if you look back at the first summit in, in 94, uh, the, the whole focus was on this, you know, democracy spreading across Latin America and this po- mm-hmm. possibility of free trade of the Americas. Is it that ambitious? No. But to the extent that they're talking about economic recovery, uh, some of the health issues, I mean, the, the, the pandemic is still, COVID is still very much a, 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 an issue uh, in most of Latin America. In fact, I, I heard somebody comment on, you know, 8% of the population in Latin America, 25% of the deaths, and yeah. in Haiti, only 2% vaccinated. So there's some real issues that they can be discussing, mm-hmm. and not the least of which I think is very important to the president, uh, Biden, is, is migration going into our own midterm. So there's, yes. there's some things that they can do. It, it's not a, it's not a, a, a you know, a okay. visionary agenda. You sound optimistic, though, which is great. I'm going to ask you about the migration issue in just a moment. But just based on on what we've already said, um, should we have invited the leaders of Cuba and these other countries to give everyone a seat that might have encouraged everyone to show up? Well, you know, that was the position of the, the president of Mexico. He said, listen, if you're going to have a summit of the Americas, everyone should be there. Yeah, right. if, if, if if you look at the the uh, the charter of the uh, summit of the Americas back in I guess it was 2001, uh, then Secretary Powell urged the adoption of a democracy charter that this would be a bedrock uh, kind of principle of, of these summits going forward. So yeah. so the fact that Cuba has not participated much. I guess once during the Obama administration, Venezuela has been sort of hit and miss. Nicaragua under Ortega, no. Uh, 
you know, most Sounds of like you America, agree with this. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I do, because we, we have adopted the charter. And yep. democracy okay. in the hemisphere, I think, is something that is important, that is critical to, you know, the, 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 the growth, the economic development and the prosperity of the region. So, yeah, I do agree with it. Uh, I can certainly see where, the, where you know, Lopez Obrador drew a line in the sand, and I think he aligned himself as he has over the years with uh, with Cuba in many mm-hmm. respects. So you could say he drew a principled line or he's the Cuban stalking horse on this issue. But, uh, you know, Mexico is represented there, as are the, uh, I think, several of the other countries sent, sent ministerial right. level. Just not, not their uh, leaders, of course. Yeah. So the, the issue of migration is looming large right now. I mean, you turn on Fox, all you're yeah. going to hear about is a caravan heading for the border. If you turn on CNN, you're going to hear about... Uh, terrible uh, conditions in some cases. People are living under bridges. We've got Title 42 in the air, uh, tied up in yeah, the court yeah. system. Uh, Ambassador, I know you're you're from Brownsville, Texas, and and we took a look yeah. at where that is. My goodness, that you know more about the border than most people here growing up in a town that was that was essentially uh, straddling the border. Uh, for for people who are listeners who don't know, this is literally all the way down on the, the the southern tip, the southeastern tip of Texas, on the border. I want you to listen to what yeah. Anthony Blinken said today. The Secretary of State, he was talking with CNN about this issue and the way that they want to tackle the issue of migration and immigration at this summit. Here he is. Everyone in the hemisphere who's affected by uh, irregular migration in particular, uh, migration more generally, that is countries of origin, transit countries, countries of destination, come together to take shared responsibility for managing this in a safe, humane and orderly way. Again, well, first of all, do you agree with that? Uh, knowing that, again, two-thirds uh, of of the migration problem isn't fully represented at the summit. Well, well I, I, I agree with I mean, the statement broadly that we had need safe, secure, and orderly migration. And I've long urged that the only way that we were going to see that was comprehensive immigration reform. Short of that, you're going to be dealing with these sort of cyclical and almost annual uh, surges along the border and, yeah. and dealing with them with the, through executive order and this sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, again, taking a step back uh, from from, uh, from the broader heads of state that are not there. Mm-hmm. Mexico, for example, is represented by their uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Marcelo Ebrard, who has been their point person on migration dis- discussions going back to the last U.S. administration. Uh Honduras and Guatemala are not represented, but they have had long conversations, I understand, with with the uh, uh, Secretaries of Homeland Security and the Vice President's office. So there is some discussion around it. The problem, Joe, is that they're trying to do this through executive order and through, uh, you know, these multilateral agreements as to, you know, uh, movement of migrants from one country to the other, whether they can go on, you know, continue their path north. Mm -hmm. And... The only way you're going to really get at this, I think, is is twofold. One, and people talk about, you know, root cause in Central American economic growth, and that's probably, you know, a, a longer-term strategy. But one is reform of things as basic as our, our amnesty procedures and have uh, uh, a guest worker program that allows some circularity if people are going to come when they're, uh, when there's demand and can go back to their home countries. Uh, and that and, requires and parties that. on both sides of the border, right? I don't mean oh, to interrupt, Ambassador, yeah. but getting back to the message no. from Blinken, I guess well, how much of it is it, our responsibility requires- to handle our own migration issue versus – uh, doing that as as kind of a, a team with with the Central American yeah. leaders. Well, Joe, 
it not only requires people on both sides of the border, it requires both people on both sides of the aisle in the United States. And I've never argued for immigration reform because I thought it was good for Mexico or Central America. I, I thought we needed it in the United States for our own self-interest. And that's yeah. that's why you do things ultimately. And so I, I think uh, immigration reform is something that would be in the best interest of the United States. Now, cooperation from other countries to the extent that we can get it in terms of enforcement and keeping people uh, you know, uh, employed – in their countries, that's everything from investment to urging uh, them to have the sort of domestic reform that would attract investment to those countries. I mean, sure. Mexico uh, has done generally well, but if you look at their 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 track record of the last you know couple of three years on something as basic as energy reform, they have not been particularly friendly to investment. That's not good. You know, that doesn't allow the economy to grow and create an opportunity here. So. Yeah, there's a, there, there are things that we can do with other countries, but ultimately the immigration reform that we do in the United States is something that we need to do for the United States. Sure, of course. I have less than a minute, Ambassador. I, I love talking to okay. you. Are things worse off now in Brownsville than they were a year ago when it comes to this issue on the border? Well, uh, this time a year ago, there may have been a, a bit more of a spike, but, but you pointed out that I, that, you know, Thirty some odd years ago, as I was a county executive in South Thirty Texas, seconds we were, with Central, we we're dealing with a Central American crisis. This yeah. is cyclical. I've seen it every other year for as long as I can as I, as I can look back. So, are they worse? No, they're pretty much as expected. Sounds like he's seen it all. Uh, come back and see us, Ambassador Antonio Garza, the former U.S. ambassador to Mexico, getting us rolling on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And we assemble the Sound On panel as the formal meetings of the Summit of the Americas begin on the West Coast. Looks like it's actually been a pretty fun trip so far for the White House Press Corps, the traveling pool, as I'm seeing on 
social media. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. And it's great to have both of you here. This is something we haven't talked a lot about, the snubs. This is getting a lot of, lot of ink, as we used to say. Rick Davis, should this White House have invited the leaders of Cuba, Venezuela, etc., or are they on the right side of history? You know, uh, I, I have my own personal attachment to, to this issue. In 2015, I attended the Summit of Americas in Panama, where the president of Cuba, uh, Raul Castro, met with Barack Obama. Yeah. And, and that was a full attendance. Everybody came. Uh, presidents of 35 countries in Latin America. And when you look at what has happened since then, our policy toward Cuba, our policy toward Venezuela, our relations in Mexico. I mean, you can argue that it's all gotten worse. And the fact that the three Northern Triangle states, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, only sent their foreign ministers. This is where the majority of the immigration comes from, illegal immigration in the United States. How do we expect to have a migration discussion if the leaders aren't even in the room? Mm -hmm. Uh, 66% of the migration, as I read on the terminal, Jeannie, to the United States southern border each year comes from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, none of which will have a leader at the table. Now, to uh, Ambassador Garza's uh, point earlier, and he was speaking fairly optimistically uh, positively, I should say, some of the right people are still at the table representing those nations. But, you know, if you're going to be signing this major declaration without all those signatures on it, does it does it still matter? It, you know, it, it's very tough to do. I mean, people have been asking the question that Rick just asked and you just asked, you know, how can you possibly tackle immigration, which is at, you know, by some accounts, a four decade high at this point, and you, the caravan is coming. Um, how can you tackle that if those Central American leaders are not at the table? That's a big, big problem for the White House. And, you know, I have to say also, though, the ambassador raised a really good point about Cuba, the back and forth between Senator Bob Menendez and and the president of Mexico, I think, has been really astonishing today to have a leader of a foreign country call out a senator like that and also including Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio for the U.S. Yes, policies right. towards Cuba. Mm-hmm. That is pretty astonishing stuff. So, you know, I think the, the White House and Congress has some work to do as it pertains to our, you know, to our relationships, both with Mexico and with Cuba. And of course, dealing with this really serious issue of immigration in this well, country. So I don't what's what's your thought then? Did they do the wrong thing? Um, You know, I think they could have, you know, I'm not sure what they could have done to possibly convince him to come short of inviting those people and the problem for the White House. That's what I mean. You invite the whole family knowing everybody's going to come or if you start whittling down the invite list, nobody's going to come. Well, that's right. And, and, you know, the the White House also got themselves into this question about hypocrisy as it pertains to Saudi Arabia. And, you know, what Lopez Obrador said is this is an old interventionist policy and it shows a lack of respect for nations and their people. So you have that. But the ambassador is right. This was a summit that was designed about democracy. And that's something President Biden cares an awful lot about. So, uh, you know, I think he's gotten himself into a difficult situation. I don't know if there was a really good way out, but he did stick with what he promised, which was he wasn't going to allow dictators to attend, and he's going to pay the price for that. Well, I guess that's true. At least he talked to Jimmy Kimmel while he was out there, Rick. Um, this, of course, comes just a couple of weeks after a federal court blocked the the planned end, the planned termination of Title 42. Remember what a big deal that was at the time. The Homeland Security Secretary was up on Capitol Hill 
testifying to, toward this six-point plan they had to go into effect to replace it. Is, is this administration better prepared now than it was then to deal with what's happening at the border? You know, it's it's hard to tell because uh, I don't think anybody in this administration, certainly in the run-up to this summit, has articulated what the plan is yeah. for dealing with the border crisis. And, and I, I just can't help but think in today's reporting on this summit that we take a step back and say, where's the Biden administration's comprehensive immigration plan? Mm. Uh, why isn't there a bill in Congress this week? This is what you do in advance of a Where, summit. Where's the media representation? Big. Where are exactly. all the, the cabinet secretaries talking about this, pushing it on cable news, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, I just can't help but think, you know, a little bird in the back of my mind is didn't didn't the vice president get the remit to run Latin America for this administration? Mm. I mean, what's her role in all this? I mean, they, they, arguably, this is a um, secondary team of people down there doing this work for the administration. And, and, and we're missing a bunch of the key players, uh, you know, on on the issues of immigration. I mean, like what what's the success going to be spelled like? There's there's no expectation that I can say uh, that I've read that this administration said success is spelled this way. Jeannie, should Kamala Harris be playing a more visible role this week? You've got three days here in her, her old state of California. Yeah, and she's got the worst job having been handed over to deal with immigration. Um, and, you know, I, I think she's probably trying not to do too much at this point. Excuse me. Yeah. Because it, it's been such a tough, uh, you know, issue for her to have to handle. And the other person we have to talk about is Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Where mm -hmm. has he been on this issue? There's been a lot of questions raised there. And I agree with Rick. Nothing came out about a policy in Congress in terms of immigration from the White House. Ginny Shanzano and Rick Davis, who's been there at the Summit of the Americas with exclusive analysis here on Bloomberg Sound On. They're back a little bit later on. We're going to get things set up for the big hearing tonight, January 6th. We'll check in with Bloomberg News on Capitol Hill and reassemble the panel. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The headline on the terminal January 6th panel promises surprises in nationally televised hearing. Nothing like raising expectations, but I guess that's what primetime is all about. Bloomberg congressional reporter Billy House up next to talk to us about what we can expect tonight. Then we'll bring back the panel for more big wind up today in Washington ahead of the hearings hearing tonight. The, of course, January 6th committee, every network's uh, taking this. But one, of course, Fox is not running this, uh, but it's going to be in a lot of living rooms. And uh, so everyone's talking about it in advance. Democrats are trying to not give away too much, but draw people towards this. Republicans are trying to hose it down as a partisan exercise, an unconstitutional one at that. Uh, starting with Speaker Nancy Pelosi, just get a sense of how everyone's framing this on the January 6th hearing tonight. I've kept my distance from the committee, so I'll be watching just as everyone else is uh, to see the presentation, the narrative of what happened as an assault on our democracy, on our Constitution, on our Capitol, on our Congress, in a very violent way. We've played for you comments from Kevin McCarthy, from Elise Stefanik, calling this an unconstitutional and illegitimate exercise. And we don't need to relitigate this whole thing. Of course, there are only two Republicans on the panel not selected by Kevin McCarthy. And you're going to be seeing uh, Liz Cheney, of course, one of them, uh, they'll all be there tonight, but Liz Cheney is going to be holding forth with opening remarks following the chair, Benny Thompson. McCarthy today was asked, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, 
in this this exchange that, you know, this was made to go viral, I guess. But Jonathan Carl, the ABC uh, news reporter, wanted to get him on tape saying that Joe Biden won the election and Donald Trump was wrong about how it turned out. This, of course, maybe you could predict what was going to happen. Give it a listen. Joe Biden was the legitimate victor of the 2020 election. And do you believe that Donald Trump is just flat wrong when he says the election was stolen? Look, uh, we've answered this question uh, a long time. Joe Biden is the president. I think you can look that there's a lot of problems still within the election process. They just arrested a former Democratic congressman just the other. Was it yesterday in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia? Um, and as we find a lot more information out there, we want to make sure more people have the ability to vote and that it's as secure and with the election where we go. That yes, ma'am. Yeah, your question. Your question was, was it legitimate? Is Donald Trump wrong when he says the election was stolen? You know, Jonathan, we talked about this a long time. I've already answered that question. Well, what, Thank what you. Keep Thank you. We'll move on now. Thank you very, Thank you very much. Thank you. So you won't answer that? Jonathan, I've answered it numerous times. I know you have a microphone. I know what you want to do. I've already answered the questions with you many times. Thank, is, is he wrong when he says thank you for your time. Go right ahead. Would not say it. And by the way, you know who else was arrested? Ryan Kelly. You hear about this today? A candidate for governor in Michigan arrested, charged with four misdemeanors, Related to the attack on the Capitol, the FBI says, and they've shown video evidence of him there, he's been charged with going into the building and vandalizing it, not leaving when asked. Knowingly entering and engaging in disorderly conduct in restricted buildings on grounds. That's a lot of trouble. So Kevin McCarthy, of course, did not testify. He was subpoenaed. I'm not even going to go through this exercise. I was going to play you the cup, but what's the point? Billy House is here. I know what Billy's doing tonight. I'm sure you're not home popping corn, uh, Billy, but there is a dramatic side to this because uh, there's a lot of stuff we don't know that's going to come out. Has the committee raised expectations to a dangerous level? I think they have. I mean, when networks basically clear uh, clear their schedules in prime time, uh, of course, you know, the opposition, some of the competition is a hockey game, but... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the committee is, has really got to, I think, grab this national audience, what it will be, um, right away. Um, and so I think what you probably won't see is the average, uh, you know, congressional hearing with somebody dabbling down and reading a statement oh, right. and handing off to somebody. I think they got to start right from the beginning with some dramatic footage. We've all seen dramatic footage of the attack on the Capitol. So this is going to have to be somewhat different dramatic footage and then i think they got to to uh, put up or shut up when they say they've got uh, material that and the uh, documents and information and testimony that nobody else yeah. has ever seen well there we go now you're hearing uh, uh, someone who covers congress every day somebody who walks the halls talks to the staffers of the lawmakers and uh, and and the staff of the leadership uh, here involved in this committee, uh, Billy, that they've they've kept things pretty quiet about tonight. I'm sure you've been asking, but they're obviously looking for some uh, dramatic impact with what they can call new information. And they, they they're acting like they got it. Uh, what we do know could, could be dramatic are snippets of taped testimony from Trump family members yeah. and Trump White House officials. But we don't know exactly how edited those are or what those snippets will say. But that's certainly something everybody's uh, eager to hear or see. 
the uh, the Republican leadership has been making a pretty big deal about whenever we hear Elise Stefanik or today Kevin McCarthy talk about this. Uh, they refer to this ABC, former ABC News president who was hired uh, and and was uh, accused of, of quashing the, the Jeffrey Epstein story. They're really trying to knock this down as a thing of entertainment. Uh, but are we going to be watching essentially a movie tonight? I think you will see something very scripted. But look, I mean, you really got to walk a long way to get to Jeffrey Epstein. And it is a long walk. Uh, but it is a long walk. But but I think, I mean, let, let's face it. Uh, you interview 1,000 people. You have 10,000 or 10,400 documents. You got all this stuff. I mean, why wouldn't anybody hire somebody that knows how to distill all of this right. so it's digestible or watchable well that's the thing billy you know i'm thinking about not 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 weirdos like us who've been you know had this on the calendar for for months or however long it's been scheduled but what about exactly. the you know the old couple they go in the living room there they're going to watch their law and order at eight o'clock tonight and they turn the tv on well what the hell is this this is to your point if you do a c-span kind of hearing there they're just going to move along how do you grab people unsuspecting viewers in their homes it's going to be hard, but I think with with this first hearing, there's if you do it right, you can do that. I think the real the real tough road to hoe will be these 10 a.m. hearings Monday and then Wednesday right. and then some after that. Because keep in mind, they expect to do this over as many as six hearings. Mm -hmm. And if you can't hold your audience tonight for two hours, uh, hearing four or five are going to be really rough. I guess that says a lot from Billy House. Great work. Find Billy's story, by the way, that I mentioned, the headline, Gen 6 panel promising surprises in nationally televised hearing. Everything you need to know about tonight. It's a great right through on the terminal. And I bet you Billy is going to be very busy starting around 8 o'clock. We'll, of course, have full coverage here on Bloomberg, and we reassemble the panel next for more on this from Rick and Jeannie. We've only got a couple of hours to go, so our final thoughts here about what we're about to witness tonight in prime time. This is Bloomberg. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Stay with Bloomberg for full coverage of the January 6th committee hearing tonight. Just keep it right here on Bloomberg Radio. Rick and Jeannie are in for the duration, by the way. I've got to get some sleep for surveillance tomorrow morning, but you know I'm watching this thing as well. With full coverage here on Bloomberg Radio, as you would expect, an historic moment here. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano with us right now as we prepare for what's about to happen tonight. Jeannie, what's your thought on the presentation, the show business part of this? And I don't mean to to turn it into just that, but this is a TV show as well. A lot of people don't know they're about to see this at 8 o'clock. Some people are going to be sitting down with this in mind and, and want to listen closely. But uh, look, you work in broadcasting. You know how difficult it is to get people's attention. How do they do this in a long form and keep people's eyes on it? It's going to be very difficult. You not only have to capture people's attention, but you, you've you got to hold it and you've got to live up to the promises. And what you and Billy were just talking about is absolutely right. They have, you know, promised a bombshell, essentially. And the question is, can they live up to it? So, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of video here, a lot of sound, a lot of audio pictures, live testimony, we understand. But, you know, they have one shot at this, essentially, uh, you know, absolutely, there's going to be more days of testimony. But if they can't hit it out of the ballpark tonight and get people to focus on it, it's going to be hard to get any size audience going forward. So Mm -hmm. it's a real challenge. The only thing I can imagine that's going to be a bombshell of the, uh, you know, scope that they're talking about is if they can connect to the White House and the former president to the violence at the Capitol that day and show that the seditious conspiracy that the Proud Boys are accused of mm-hmm. was politically directed by the White House. Short of that, I think it's very, very tough to meet sort of the hype that has preceded this. What do you make of the, the hype machine here, Rick? I know you need people uh, to get in the room and sit down and turn on the TV or look at your phone at a certain time, but uh, you don't want to do another uh, Benghazi hearing, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Benghazi is exactly what you want to avoid. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you have to have enough excitement around it that people actually want to tune into this and not something else. Uh, and it, to me, it's kind of like a presidential debate, right? It's uh, nobody's going to watch the thing all the way through, so you got to grab them up front. Okay. And, and I think that that is on the backs of. Benny Thompson, the, the the chairman, and Liz Cheney, the mm-hmm. Republican co-chairman. It's they're going to give opening statements, and those have to be compelling. Those have to be really, um, um, you know, sort of draw in exactly what this yeah. committee is trying to accomplish. And what's an otherwise boring forum, Rick? That's right. And but th- but they're the first act, and then the second act is going to be the video and the and the and the scenery. We've forgotten what it looks like uh, to see that attack. It was gut wrenching at the time, 
people were following it in real time. Uh, to see that again in a more refined package and new things that you haven't seen before, yeah. I think could be riveting. So if you get in there at the you know, first 15, 20 minutes, and that's the next thing you see, then then you're likely to stick around and see what else they've got. But mm -hmm. they've got to throw this stuff up there uh, like it was a television show or, a, as I said, a, uh, a presidential debate so that so that anybody tuning in at any given time is going to get something out of it. And then they got to orchestrate the press afterwards. I, I'll be honest with you. I think the Republicans have had day one and two to mm -hmm. orchestrate this thing, mm -hmm. and they've been attacking it. And there have been very little pushback. Other than the president saying things like, "Oh, it'll be interesting. You'll see something new," huh. uh, and so, so I you want to see Democrats lined up on morning TV or expect them to be tomorrow. They better be because yeah. the reality is that this is going to be defined in day two and three after uh -huh. the fact, not right. not tonight. And in that time, though, Rick, law, Republican lawmakers in many cases, a lot of House lawmakers are leaving town again. Uh, we heard the pre-buttles today. And I'll mention what Donald Trump had to say in a minute. But Kevin McCarthy held the full uh, session with with other Republican leaders in the House, in the uh, the briefing room in the visitor center on, in the U.S. Capitol. This was largely what they talked about. They did a little bit of of uh, gun reform, but it was basically a January sixth conversation. And he was asked specifically why he didn't just go ahead. I think the question is on here. We're gonna let it roll. Why why not just testify? Here he is. So the committee asked if I would come talk to them. So I sent him a letter to ask what they want to talk about. They never responded. What they said publicly went out there. They said they wanted to talk about my conversation with the president on January 6th. So on January 6th, when I had that conversation with the president, I then went on three networks. One with, I think I was even with you, Jonathan. I had a longer discussion with the American public than my conversation with the president. So there was nothing to be added. <laughs> to go about, and then the argument of whether you could subpoena members themselves it purely looks to me like it's political. A couple different things there, Jeannie. For starters, though, I mean, come on, you do a network TV interview. Is that the same as testifying under oath before this committee? Yeah, yeah, that, that's what Kevin McCarthy's been saying. And of course, we've all heard and listened to the change, you know, that occurred from January 6th, what McCarthy right. was saying to, yeah. you know, what he says now. Um, but I think, you know, the reality is the counter programming by McCarthy, by Lee Stefanik, by the Republicans is going to go on throughout this. Rick is right. Democrats have got to be on top of the committee, quite frankly, is, you know, not just Democrats, but the committee has got to be on top of that. But I think one thing to underscore here is what we're hearing from aides to the committee is the other part of this is this is not just for history's sake. They're talking about this as an ongoing threat to democracy. In other words, they're saying this thing is not over. It wasn't just one incidence of violence at the Capitol, as bad as that was, but that this is continuing. And I think that's something that I'm going to be looking to see. Do they make the case that this is not over, that the United States democracy is still under threat? And you listen to what the Proud Boys are doing now, and the reality is that if you believe what you're hearing from the Justice Department, that's very much the case. You heard Billy uh, House mention it, a thousand interviews. That's a th thousand interviews. We're going to see some of them or snippets of some of them with uh, Jared and Ivanka Trump, we're told. Um, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, but Rick, we learned today House Republicans are going to release their own report on what happened January 6th. Uh, they say they're going to be focusing on inadequacies in security preparations. They've even talked about potentially subpoenaing Speaker Nancy Pelosi to talk about what they describe as a lack of, you know, preparation and, and, and security that should have been addressed before this ever happened. Is Kevin McCarthy going to return a subpoena with a subpoena? 
You know, he could, but it's just grandstanding. I mean, it. it, it, it but is that a new thing now? We're going to do that now all the time? Oh, I think it's it's very much it. And it's not so new. I mean, when Republicans are in charge, they, they investigate the Democrats. When the Democrats are in charge, they investigate the Republicans. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, there's no clean hands in this one. Uh, and, and so cyclically, you know that's going to happen. I mean, look, they've already said they think that we might even impeach a president if they get in control of Congress, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Republicans. So. Uh, I, I think this is a tit for tat that that has been going on for a long time. It's not productive. It's not going to gain any votes for Republicans to to prosecute that. I'm not sure how many votes your Democrats are going to get for this. I think this is one that they've got to take for the team. Constitution, uh, democracy. They've got to spell this out. It can't be partisan and it can't be vindictive. Uh, if they can set a historical record here that then sticks. Uh, they'll have done some good. Uh, but if it's just another political tit for tat, uh, it's it's going to it's going to fall on deaf ears because people are tired of hearing that. Two witnesses uh, tonight. We understand at least, uh, Jeannie, this will be somewhat of a congressional hearing, even if it's not traditional. One is a, a, a Capitol Police officer who was there. The other is a documentary filmmaker who was embedded with the Proud Boys, who you already mentioned here tonight. This apparently is footage that we've never seen before. And I'll be real honest with you. I can't imagine things worse than what we've seen, uh, Jeannie. But is that the point, the shock and awe here tonight on the first night? Yeah, I, I think it is. I think they're trying to try to lay out this story, this narrative. And after so many interviews and so many documents, they're going to try to tell a story about what happened that night. And again, they're going to try to connect it. The violence that the Proud Boys have been charged with, the seditious conspiracy, they're going to try to connect it to the White House and potentially the former president. But I agree with Rick. They have to be very, very careful not to make this a partisan issue. They've got to show that they're doing this for democracy. And mm-hmm. that's why I think the person to watch is Liz Cheney. Can she show that she's doing this because she's defending the Republican Party from this cancer and also defending democracy and Republicans like Adam Kissinger as well? Yeah, boy, just wait. We'll be here tomorrow, of course, to dissect all of this. And again, special coverage tonight with Rick and Jeannie. We're lucky to have them for the duration here. So in this last moment, in the fastest hour in politics, I must acknowledge what has been the fastest year in politics. Indeed, it was one year ago today I had the honor of taking this microphone and joining you for this conversation at the end of each day, which has been certainly an important part of my life. And it's all been elevated to this level uh, by this amazing team here at Sound On. Our panel, Rick Davis, of course, Jeannie Shanzano, who you hear almost every night together, the best in the business, and bring such intellect and perspective to this conversation. It wouldn't be the same uh, otherwise. They're also really lovely people, in case you're wondering. And those you never hear about in New York, Bob Bragg and Jody Schneider, our producers in D.C., Christine Barada and Matt Shirley are actually right there. I think they're at the microphone right now. Matt's the guy. Hey, there they are. Uh, Love these guys. These are the people who make this stuff happen. We spend all day talking about who we want to bring on, why we want to bring them on, what we want to explore. Matt Shirley digs them up. Christine Barada brings them over. And I just want to thank both of you for being such great partners. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. It's a pleasure to work with you. I think, uh, Christine, you probably agree with that, right? I agree. Yeah. It's been a lot Very of fun good. and a real pleasure. You don't have pleasure. to say anything deep right now, but you're the best. And Jeannie <laughs> and too. Rick, uh, okay. you're the best. Time. Yeah, well, I'll see you guys back here tomorrow. On the Fastest Hour in Politics, look for the committee hearing tonight, of course. And uh, I'll meet you on TV in the morning with full analysis. And then, of course, back here on Sound On at 5 p.m., Washington time. If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.